Hallelujah. New covenant means the forgiveness of sins. It means personal knowledge of Jesus. And it means receiving the power of an indestructible life. That is to say to receiving Holy Spirit. All right, we're going to advance tonight. Look at there. I've spent all this time going very slowly. And now tonight I'm going to jump on the horseback and race a little bit. Okay. Just for fun. How many of you learned how to walk before you were one year old? Let me see your hand. Oh, there, look, oh, there, oh, what? How many of you were older than 15 months? I'll raise my hand. Ah, oh, hallelujah. The ambitious and the others. I don't mind being any others. Um, we, are, we are those who learned how to let other people do the work for us. Hallelujah. Which is, by the way, the Christian life. Jesus did the labor and we received the benefits. But I want to talk to you about learning how to walk tonight. And uh, I have, I have uh, told you, like just in hints, but I want to... I'm going to remind you, there's an old outline of the book of Ephesians that's, that's really a lot of fun. Um, and it's, it's really one of the best outlines ever. Um, how many of you, how many of you have read Watchman Nee? Well, I'm taking surveys tonight. I'm just doing surveys. There you go. Uh, Watchman Nee was the first Christian mystic that I ever read. I'll blaspheme and say he's not the greatest theologian I ever read, but he certainly is one of the great Christian mystics and uh, brothers in Christ who um, carved out his life in the midst of lots of hardship. But his outline of the book of Ephesians is just one of the best. His outline of the whole book is in three words. Sit, walk, stand. The word sit is not used, but the word seated is used twice. And that is to remind us of, uh, as, the, as they used to say, our position in Christ. The way we say it is more likely this way, of our identity, of who we are. Um, I'm... Uh, Y'all remember hearing about positional truth? Positional truth is just coming to understand your identity, who you are. And identity is how we've been working on it this time. Um, but, but to be seated in Christ is to have an identity as one who is, uh, uh, what is true of him is true of us. He, we, he conquered death, we conquered death. He's enthroned, we're enthroned. And, uh, and those things which are true about him are true about us because we're his servants. Well, tonight we start this section about walk. And walk is the word that's used the most frequently. And uh, it's like learning how to walk. And so I want to I talk to you about it tonight because you learn how to walk out of your identity. So first you get, you get hold of who you are. 
And if you know who you are, then you know how, how to be. And this is where there, there was a time in, in uh, America's common life where people took a whole lot of pride in who they were. And parents would tell their children to remember who they were and they would speak their last name over them and say, remember, you are a, which means to say, when you go out there, we're all out there. What you get into, we're all into. And it was a, it was a, it was a matter of tethering them to, uh, to the, the dignity and integrity and goodness of the family. And um, of course, those things can be misused, but, but look, there's way too little ennobling people these days. There's been way too much shaming and way too little ennobling. One of my, one of my critiques of culture right now is that the, the culture has adopted um, a kind of a secular fundamentalism and it's full of shame. It's full of shame. No, no, no. Let's get full of, let's get full of who we are in Christ. All right. Well, I'm going to go back to this to get us going. Ephesians 3, 1, 4, 1. Paul reminds us that he's a prisoner. But in 3, 1, he reminds us he's a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, this is important because Paul is not a Gentile. His identity, his identity is that he is, he is Jewish. He lays out his identity in the in the book of Philippians and tells us exactly who he is, which by the way, when he gets through saying, he says, none of that matters anything because he's taken on a new identity in Christ. And this is a rather important thing because he, 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 he over and over stresses that they were, they were Gentiles. So, and he's in prison on their behalf and he wants them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And that's where we will dig in tonight. Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. Now this, I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Okay, guys, get hold of this. Let it sink into you. He says, I'm, I'm, there's a lot of things in this book that haven't pressed into me as clearly as they have on this reading. And uh, one of them, of course, is the difference in he and they. And he says, you Gentiles. And listen, he spends four and a half chapters building them up in their identity. And it's only when you get that, that you can walk out your identity. Uh, motivational teachers have always known this. Um, I always like to tell about one of my favorite motivational speakers, Jimmy Valvano. There's probably not anybody alive that haven't heard his speech for the V Foundation and about never give up. But... What people don't know is that Jimmy Valvano was just like that 24-7. Um, he was a guy that, that he knew what he wanted to be. And he pressed himself into it on a regular basis. He was a guy that 
Hallelujah. I'm going to pull it up for you. That when he was 17 years old, he wrote his dreams on an index card. He said, I want to play college basketball. I want to become a head coach. I want to win a game in Madison Square Garden. And finally, I want to cut down the nets after winning the national championship. He wrote that down at 17 years old. And every year when he got his new team, he pulled out his messed up card that he wrote that on and read that over his team. When Valvano was called to be the coach at North Carolina State, he inherited um, a pretty good team, but he was in the Atlantic Coast Conference at the same time when Michael Jordan and Ralph Sampson were playing for their respective teams and quite a few other like fairly impressive um, basketball players. And he had a team that, frankly, had only a few guys that had potential a second team um, NBA status, and maybe not even that. Uh, the guy who had been the coach there before him had won a national championship and been recruited by Florida to go back to Florida. And Jimmy Valvano comes in, and <laughs> uh, one of the guys, Thurl Bailey, says that he and the guys were spending a lot of their time talking about whether or not they were going to stay around. And he said, and Valvano comes in the first time he's with us. And he says, I want you to meet me in the, in the gym. They come in there and he brings a ladder and a pair of scissors. And he has them practice cutting down the net. And they said, man, that was kind of strange. And he read his list to them. And then you could know every year if you played for Jimmy Balvano, at least once you were going to cut down the nets. And so sure enough, 82, 83. Anybody in here remember that? They cut down the nets. Gail and I were living in uh, Wake Forest, North Carolina. And I was, work, I was working at security at a hospital. I always like to tell that part because I, I got to very briefly meet Jimmy Valvano when his wife had their third baby uh, when I was working on the security team. And he was just big as life. But we were all just cheering for them and cheering for them and cheering for them. But you know what they did. They came to Albuquerque, New Mexico and cut down the nets. And, and those guys, you know, 20 years later, when they, when they made a CNN, uh, uh, ESPN special about it, they sat around and talked about how they felt when Coach V had them cut down the nets the first times. Because, you see, Jimmy V tapped into a, a spiritual principle. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you see yourself that way, you can be that way. And what Paul has done, listen, 
He did not start off his letter to the Ephesians, which by the way, this was a church where he'd spent a lot of time. This was not a place where he was not well, well familiar, but he had spent a lot of times, but he lays out a case of who they are and who they are in Christ. So that by the time uh, he addresses them this way, he's not denigrating them because he's already ennobled them. You can challenge somebody about who they are in the flesh if you've ennobled them in the spirit. And you can tell them not to get their identity from the flesh if you've ennobled them in a higher identity. Can we talk? Now, um, by the way, the best thing you can do is make people feel really good about who they are and then in the... In life, and then ennoble them about who they really are in Christ, and about what that means for all of us uh, as we are in Christ. Now, then you can say, Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say they knew what that was, and then he unpacks that. I heard another story that I that I, I just want to press this thing of the identity into you. Um, wonderful story about a school teacher. Her name was Crystal Jones. Crystal Jones was uh, was taken on to be a teacher in an underserved school system in Atlanta, Georgia. And she was a first grade teacher. And uh, she forgive me, I'm getting tickled at myself. Not at you, at myself. Uh, she had a class that they didn't have kindergarten in this school. So her first graders were like wildly unprepared. You know how nowadays lots of preschoolers not only can recognize their letters and, and, and uh, all those things, but they can say simple words. But she had a class that was like really in need of, some work. And so she was thinking, how can I do this? New at it and trying to understand what to do. And she tapped into a principle. And, And you can watch this with kids. She wondered, who do they want to be? And I'll tell you something about kids that you, you probably already know. Uh, there's a long time when kids are developing that who they want to be is just ahead of who they are. You know, they don't want to be in a first grade. They want to be second, third, fourth, fifth grade. You know, you have to get, you have to get in my category. No, by the time you're in my category, you get, you don't want to go back to any of that. <laughs> but, but it's, they, they see themselves another way. So this teacher decided that uh, she was going to give her students an identity. So she told them first day of class, she said, uh, this is like true story, guys. She said, 
Every one of you in this class is going to be reading on the third grade level when this year is over with. And she said, you're going to address one another as scholar and their last name. You know, Scholar Smith, Scholar Jones, Scholar Gutierrez. You're going you're gonna to address them. You see, you address your own classmates as scholar. And when other people come in, you're going to introduce each other as scholar. And then you're going to say every day, um, a scholar is someone who loves learning and is really good at it. So they made a confession. She didn't know what she'd gotten hold of, but she could tell by Halloween that she had caught something. And she would tell these kids, go home and tell your parents what you learned and identify yourself and say the slogan and tell them what you learned that day. Within six months, every kid in the class was past a second grade level of reading. And by the time the school year was over, 90% of her class could read at a third grade level. Amen? Yeah, go ahead and give that a hand. That's pretty good stuff. What'd she do? She just tapped into identity and identity taps into, taps into raising you up. If you, <laughs> if, you, if you see yourself at a higher level, you got a good chance. Or, you know what depression is? It's seeing yourself as you are and worse and being ashamed of it and rehearsing it to yourself an awful lot. I, uh, yeah, stop doing that. <laughs> stop, stop saying those confessions. So understand who you are. I am a person in Jesus Christ and I am indwelt by the spirit of the living God. Christ is in me. And I am saved and forgiven and set apart. And I am able to do what he says I can do. And I'm able to be who he says I can be. You know, get weird. Say some stuff to yourself in the mirror. Stop saying the stuff you've been saying. Because it's just a fact that if you can see yourself another way. Now listen, we have an advantage because this is not just self-talk motivationalism. This is tapping into the reality that actually resides in us. One of the things that surprised me, and I've unpacked it as I've lived my Christian life, is, is that... Christ came to live in me when I was born again, but my, my religious training was not ennobling. My religious training was still filled with shame. It was all about what I was not. It was all about, it was all about the fact that there was, it was such a sin consciousness in it that, and, and listen, I knew what I knew about myself and I figured God knew a little more. And I just, 
I wish I hadn't spent all that time because one of the things that inhibited me being able to experience the good things of the Holy Spirit was that I didn't see myself as the righteousness of God in Christ. I didn't see myself that way. I saw myself as altogether in sin. And I had that, I'm just a sinner, da, 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 da. And, uh, and so I had this identity. And whenever anybody wanted to tell you, how do you get filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you got to get all that sin out of you. Well, okay. I remember being told to take a list and go out to a cemetery and get on your knees and pray and say, God, show me all my sin. And then told to write down all my sins. I don't know what the cemetery thing was, but it seemed to work. We'll go out there among the dead and be dead. Listen, I did that stuff. We had these, we had these interviews that were called a, a searing quest for revival. And it was like, uh, have you looked at anything you shouldn't look at? Have you thought anything you shouldn't thought? Have you been angry and unresolved it before you went to bed? Have you, oh man, they had sins I hadn't thought about. And I want you to know something. God will answer your prayers. If you ask him to show the other stuff, he'll show you. But what God was trying to get me to do is see who I really was. Then I started getting around people that could tell me who I really was. And I did not get filled with Holy Spirit because I got rid of all the other stuff that was in me. I got filled with Holy Spirit because I came to recognize who I was and how good God is and how happy he is to give us good gifts and not evil gifts. Okay, having said all that, I'm fixing to read something that depresses you. <laughs> now, now this I say and testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Was this say first in the futility of their minds? They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorances in them due to the hardness of their hearts. It's a pretty bad report and they have become callous now this is actually a, a real thing this is true um, uh, so he's talked about darkness hardness and callousness now all these things are are at work in somebody uh, darkness is the inability to, to see and and hardness is when, is when your heart is like a stone. Now, the children of Israel went up the mountain. They got the law of God. It was written on stone tablets. It's not surprising that when the prophets announced new covenant, they said, God's going to take your stony heart. Because their hearts had actually become like the stone that the law was written on. The law had not made them soft. The law had just confirmed them in their hardness. And the book of Romans talks about how the law magnifies sin so that God could bring the, the thing he wanted to bring. God actually took a people and magnified sin in a people who were his covenant people so he could use those people to be the means by which Gentiles and others could come into light. There's a lot more I can say about that, but let me not. They've become callous. How many guitar players we got in here? Okay. 
What happens to you when you don't play, play your guitar for six months or a year? And then you go back to play your guitar. You're in pain. You're in pain. A callus is what puts you out of pain so you can play your guitar. So it actually has a good function there. But a calloused heart is what puts you out of pain when you're off target. And I'm just going to say, a calloused heart is when we, when we make an agreement with the darkness, when we make an agreement with the hardness, and, and we let ourselves off. Now, so listen, what Paul is doing, uh, this is important. It's not that there's no effort in the Christian life. I'm sick and tired of people who act like that effort is off limits. There's some, there's some choosing, there's some effort, there's some discipline, there's some practicing. Don't tell me that anything else in life that you get good at, that, that you have to spend hours working at it, and that walking with Jesus is just something that just happens. Oh, so there's some actual effort. But the thing of it is, it's not futile effort because his life is in you, because his spirit is in you. And this is why, listen, when a person first becomes a Christian and they read the Bible, it's like holiness on steroids. You know, like they get rid of all their sin and they see, and they're gonna help you get rid of all yours. I mean, that's a good thing. God enables us at a high level when we first taste the goodness of God uh, to, to, to see some change. But clearly, listen, Paul had taught with these people for a very long time. He had known them for a very long time. And now he's challenging them still and saying, listen, don't walk like the Gentiles do. Don't walk in the way they do. Don't walk like your family walks in Ephesus. Don't do it. It'll make you hard. It'll make you, it'll make you callous and it'll make you ignorant and it'll make you dark. And they've given themselves up to sensuality, to greed, and to practice every other kind of impurity. Um, I, I really am convinced that, that one of the things that's happened in Western culture is that Western culture got Christianized without Christ. What do you mean by that? I mean that there's a, a wide swath of Western culture that by the sheer force of the weight of numbers got called to conform to Christian morality when they didn't have Christian vitality. They didn't have life and Holy Spirit within them. And what we're having right now, that we've been having at least, uh, well, I don't know because it's been going on all the years of my life, is that there's a, there's a, a, a sinking of the American culture into a, a callousness about sensuality and impurity that uh, I, would, I never thought possible. Now, what I want to do, because, I'm a, because I, I have seen cultural Christianity, and there's a part of me that liked it better than what I see now. And so what I want to do is yell at it and tell, it, tell, it to, tell, the, tell, the, tell sensuality and impurity and just tell it to go away. It ain't going away that, by those means. It's, it's only going to go by the power of God. And the truth is, we've been going through an increasing period of time at which uh, fewer and fewer numbers, there's, you're not going to be holy because of peer pressure in the world nowadays. 
You're not going to avoid sensuality, impurity, um, and greediness. You're not going to avoid that by peer pressure nowadays. When I was growing up, you could a little bit avoid it. Nowadays, you'll only avoid it because the life that's in you is greater than the pressure that's outside of you. And because you're partnering with it in every way. So there's a willfulness of saying, I'm going to walk this way. By the way, it will help you if you're going to take a stand somewhere to just actually verbalize the stand you're going to take. Like, I can't do that because of this. And you do that without condemnation. When I, was a, when I was a very young Christian, there was a lot of times that I used to say, I, I can't do that. Sometimes, to be honest with you, it was legalism working in me. And I'm still, I still look back on it and I'm not really that ashamed of it because I learned how to stand alone. Um, legalism is, is, is it, it's, not, it's not the best way of walking in holiness. Uh, but the worst thing about it is that when you impose it on others, when you choose it on yourself, it's a different matter. And when I took stands against pressure and I learned how to do it, I didn't regret it. And it had good outcomes. I remember one time when I was commanded by, um, yeah, I don't have time for the story. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have time for that text either. All right. But that... <laughs> Are y'all all right? But that is not the way you learned Christ. So I started off by saying, learn how to walk. He wants them to walk. And he says, you do it by learning Christ. So Christianity is the school of Christ. This is why um, people who spend a lot of time in the red letters are helped. It's very helpful. The red letters meaning the words of Christ. Now, I'm not a Christian who believes they're more inspired than the others, but they are the, the actual direct revelation of Christ himself. You want to learn Christ, you walk with Christ. You want to walk with Christ, you walk with his words. He who walks with wise men is wise, and we can walk with Christ by walking in his words. And if you soak in them, Lots of, you, lots of you would really love the preaching of Bill Johnson, for example. Bill Johnson reads the Gospels. I think he just, I don't know if he reads anything else. Actually, I do because I've heard him preach enough. But you can tell how soaked in it he is. Whatever you soak yourself in, you will become. And he says, you've learned Christ. Now, here's an interesting thing. They didn't have Bibles but they had Christ and they had the spirit of Christ in them and they had an apostle who was teaching them, but their learning of Christ was actually the direct witness of the Holy Spirit living within them. Early Christianity was a spirit movement more than a word movement. It was a word movement when it was among the Jews because they were so trained in Torah. But when he got out into the Gentile areas, it was so much more a spirit movement. And I love the fact that we've been soaked in Holy Spirit before we got to chapter four. 
in, the, in, the, in this little small letter of Paul's. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus. So note that he's also saying that you have to be taught of him. Now, they had the apostolic witness. That means they had the direct people who walked with Jesus. Paul saying himself was one of them and was the least of them. then he says, as you were taught the truth in Jesus to put off the old self. And by that, for these people, he means your Gentile ways that he characterized here. You've got to put them off, which belong to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires one of the best ways that every human being knows that they, are, that they are not walking in Christ is when you're being jerked around by your desires. And desires is not just food and sex. <laughs> desires is those motives of self-centeredness. Hallelujah. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And now I'm just going to press on. Therefore, having put away falsehood, because I'm going to read this to you and then I'll come back and I'll have to expand on it next week because I've burned up my time. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Better said this way, in your anger, do not sin. I'm often misunderstood as don't be angry. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. Not only are you going to be angry, not all anger is bad. In your anger, do not sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. That one used to scare me because I thought, if I let the sun go down on my anger, I'll get a demon. <laughs> Why? Because it says, and give no place to the devil. <laughs> so let me just say this. It doesn't, I can't guarantee you'll get a demon if you let the sun go down on your anger, but you're giving a shot. I'm laughing at it. It ain't really funny. My grandpa told me to reconcile my anger. And mostly he told me to reconcile my anger with her. But I noticed something when I married Gail. Her grandpa didn't tell her that. That girl could get mad and go to sleep for days. And, it, and I would be the one that would wake up with the devil having had a place in me. I'm kidding. Y'all know I'm kidding. Sort of. <laughs> let the thief steal no longer, but let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. And this fits the occasions. This is Paul exhorting a prophetic atmosphere, what we would call a prophetic atmosphere, which is speaking life over one another. As fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear and don't grieve the spirit of God. So notice, don't use anger giving a place to the devil and use your words in such a way that won't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now I'm gonna come back again, as I said to these texts, but I wanna, I wanna bless you. Now, let me, hallelujah. I'm, I'm finishing up, so stand up. That'll, that'll make me hurry because I won't torture you. Um, so, so Moses took the children of Israel out into the wilderness. He went up the mountain, he got the tablets of stone and he came down. So catch hold of this. They had a period of time to learn who they were. How did they learn who they were? Because God cared for them like his dear children. Food, water, direction, protection, clothes that didn't wear out, physical health. God constantly lavished on them their identity. Moses went up the mountain, got the tablets of stone, came down, told them how to live. Paul has labored with great labor to tell these Ephesian Gentiles who they are, who they are, who they are, who they are. And now he does tell them how to live. The difference in old covenant. And by the way, if you read these, you go, that's a lot like the 10 commandments. It's, and it's certainly a lot like the two commandments. So you can see there's practical instruction. On, on how to carry on. You'd be surprised, by the way, how many people don't know that stealing is bad in so many places of the world because they've spent their whole life stealing to live. So Paul comes down and he, now having been at the heights with God and taking them with him to find out who they are, now he gives them these walking instructions. And he teaches them how to walk. And learning to walk the Christian life is just exactly like learning to walk. It's impossible until it's possible. And then it's easy, except you still fall down. (laughs) Tonight, I just think it's time that once again, We invite Holy Spirit to come and fall on us. We need to receive a refreshing of the Holy Spirit. As I told him this morning in my online teaching, um, receiving God's presence is exactly like receiving breath. 
One time is not enough. And the word for spirit is the same as the word for breath. And so we are continuously. And when we come to this piece of the text in Ephesians, he's going to say, keep on being filled with Holy Spirit. So here's what I've done. I've given you the law. Now get filled with Holy Spirit. Because we got to walk it out. 